Well, folks, welcome to One More Edition Politics and Random. Berto is the host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have what again? What do we always say we have? We're going to have a great show for you today. Welcome aboard, my dear brothers and my sisters. How are you all doing? I'm going to salute you in a bit. I want to go ahead and get my live stream up for the YouTube channel. Make sure that the YouTube channel is flowing as it should. I know it's on because I see some of you already connected through YouTube, but I want to actually see, see, quiero ver the live stream on my own. So therefore, I am going to see what you see, Rodney, you're going to kill me again. I see a lot of stuff there. I'll read them all. Let's see what else we get here. Welcome aboard, El Senor Rodney. How are you guys doing today? Welcome aboard. Who else is here this morning or this afternoon or whatever it is? Robert Devon, Devonport. Welcome aboard. AVQ. Let's see. Paul Fleming checking in from ATL. Maywood, Long Beach, California, and the one and only Bridge MCP. Welcome aboard, Bridge Eric Hayes. Eric, you're giving me problems. You sent me that long, 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 long article that unfortunately showed that. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Deviancy of the right. I'm going to get you in at some time. Look like we have a good balance of conservatives and liberals today. Hello, Lee Grant. My brother, how you doing, my conservative brother? You taking taking care of business? All right, let's <coughs> let's get busy. But I don't want to cough again. And there, let, let me just warn all of you guys. This is how you know Mike Rudnin is like a resident. Um, <clears throat> he gets the the initial news. So I've just about named this segment. Whenever Rudnin is in the house, this segment is Rudnin's segment. Okay, <clears throat> because he bring all these clips. Well, anyhow, this is how he starts because he knows when he's about to throw a bit too much in there, right? He says, Egberto, pardon, I'm about to go away over again. That means I'm going to have to do speed reading again. That's what he's trying to tell me. Okay, let's get busy. Marina Osifokava, an editor at the state-owned Channel One, interrupted the network's evening newscast shouting, stop the war, stop the war, no war, while holding up a sign reading, no war, don't believe propaganda. They're lying to you Russians against war, according to multiple reports. Ovisnikova was arrested following her demonstration. A demonstration of bravery. Putin has shut down any semblance of free speech in Russia. One could only hope that the Russian people would stand in mass against war, but organizing such a movement is difficult if all their people ever hear is propaganda. I think they find her and released her. That's kind of interesting that they find her and released her. There must be more to that story. They're scared for the West. Segunda, Zelensky urges Ukraine no-fly zone in Canada Parliament address. Ukrainian president gets multiple standing ovations in Canada's parliament as he calls for more international support. Are we ready for a conventional war with Russia? One that includes the stipulation that we won't invade Russia as that will trigger a nuclear unconventional response. This seems to be the path we're on. Amazing. But you know what? I hadn't thought about what you just said there. 
I actually like that. <clears throat> Not that we go to war, that, that there's a threat there. <clears throat> and they will take that threat seriously because I don't know that if, if it's all conventional war, they lose like, I mean, they look terrible. Right now, the Ukrainians by themselves are blowing up tank after tank after tank with the Springer missiles and uh, what, what is it called? Springer missiles or something like that. Egberto, speaking of Ukraine, no-fly zone. Mind putting this Poland image up on the screen. No-fly zone over Ukraine, 59% to 41% supply uh, support. No-fly zone over Ukraine. If Russia views it as an act of war, it drops 38% support, 62% opposed. This discrepancy is what happens when the mainstream media doesn't cover an issue properly and then conducts skewed polls withholding necessary information that would otherwise shift opinion in a direction their donors disfavor, otherwise known as manufacturing consent. Exactly. Uh, I see it. I can't put that poll. Well, let me let me try to put the poll up and see if I can get it up. I, I, I think I rebooted this machine. Let's see if that had it, some, some of the stuff to do with it. I'm going to try to get that poll because I, I, I kind of like that graphic. That graphic, I think, makes a lot of sense. So let's see if we can actually get that graphic up for you, Senor Rodnin. So guys, hold a minute. Hold your chaps as I try to put that graphic up and see if we can get it done. It looks like, um, uh, let's see what happens. There is a graphic. It's blinking, but that's the graphic he wants you to see. All right. Take a look at that. I'm not going to leave it on for too long because I don't know what all that blinking means. So let's go ahead now and take it off the screen and put something back onto the screen. That's static. That's static. All right. There we go. All right. Why did we... You know, it seems like we dropped some characters when I put that on. Anyway, let's continue with uh, Rudnin's essence. Here we have uh, Saudi Arabia, mass execution. Thank you, Jerry Teresi, Jenny Teresi. Thank you for being our latest PDR Posse member. I'll fix you up in a little bit once we get to the interview. Thank you so kindly for becoming a new member of the PDR Posse. Hey, guys, who else wants to join the PDR Posse? Follow her lead. Follow Jenny's lead. Saudi Arabia, mass execution of 81 men, rampant abuses in criminal justice system, makes fear trials highly implausible. Human Rights Watch obtained and analyzed court rulings for five men. Uh, let's see, Aquil Farah, and I can't repeat those names, but anyhow, the bottom line, let me see what you have as a bottom line that you want to say. This is beyond a travesty of justice. How are we still allied with a country that commits such atrocities? So says Rudnin, so agree most of us. Rudnin, how much did you have here, buddy? Congress finally passed a federal anti-lynching bill after 120 years of failure. Here are the three House Republicans that voted against a bill to make lynching a federal hate crime. Republicans Reps Thomas Massey of Kentucky, Chip Roy of Texas, of course Chip Roy is going to be in there, and Andrew Clyde of Georgia voted against the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act of 2022, which would designate lynching extrajudicial killings typically committed against black Americans, particularly during the Jim Crow era, as a federal hate crime. Congress has never, ever codified lynching as a hate crime. The bill is named for Emmett Till a 14-year-old black teenager who had kidnapped and brutally murdered by two white men in Mississippi in 1955 till his mother invested that her son be given an open, insisted that her son be given an open casket funeral, images of which reveal the savagery. Republicans took to run in 20, uh, uh, looking to run in 2024 once lived in fear of crossing former President Donald Trump. That's starting to change over the past few weeks. 
Three would-be presidential candidates who hail from conservative wing of the Republican Party, Arkansas, Senator Tom Cotton, former Vice President Mike Pence, and Florida uh, Governor DeSantis have prodded uh, or uh, prodded at or even outright criticized the former president's record after spending years lavishing praise on Trump and touting his policies. They're zeroed in on key moments from his tenure in office, from his pandemic response to his words and actions regarding Russia, to the prison. They're running scared to the prison reform legislation he signed into law. And Michael Rundin also says, I'm making, I am looking at the Republican 2024 candidates being against Trumpism seems like such a low bar, but they have to deal with the Trump and right wing bubble, have done the conservative base a lot. Look, we have so much tape. I'm telling you, folks, all of you people that are counting us out in 2022 and 2024, if we do our work, it's a landslide. And I'm not saying, you know, the turnaround that I'm talking about. All of this is because we're not fighting back. We're fighting like a bunch of pansies. Let's change it and you'll see what happens. Last one from Rodden says, Republicans taken to run in 2024 lived in fear. Ah, you repeated that, buddy. What happened there? You repeated that. All right, let's get busy. Let's get busy. What else we got here? AVQ. Uh, Eric Hayes says, looks like Azar is not happy at all. And the U.S. thought it would get cooperation. No, China is securing its national security first, then others. Second, what does this... You're talking about, I, I gave you an explanation about coal already. It is amazing to me, my brother Eric. It is amazing that you cannot see the light. If I look at you and I tell you, for short-term gain, I will kill your daughter. And you'll have some sort of short, I'll kill your daughter slowly for short-term gain. Will you allow that to occur? Well, that is what you're doing. And for those who can't see it, shame on you. All right, let's continue here. Michael Rennick, I can't throw that meme up right now. Sound and video was good. Then went out of, it's out of sync? Huh. I'm looking at it and it seemed like it's still in sync. Let me know if anybody else sees it out of sync. Eric Hayes, keep linking to known conspiracy mills. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Rodden. You took some work away from me. Yes, sound and video were good. Then Egberto did something. LOL. You know what did it? Now I know one of the caveats. When Michael asked me to put that stuff on the screen and you saw that screen blinking, that did it. Michael, you are responsible for us having a sync problem. How many seconds is it out of sync? Let me know. All right, let's see. Paul Fleming says, I knew how to post links. I would. Well, you can. Robert P. Davenport says, oh, you know, I actually thought Robert P. Davenport and Robert Davin was the same person. I guess I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Our Robert Davenport said, greetings to all progressive. Lost the video and Facebook Live. We'll move on to, it should be there. Bridge MCP says, greetings, Robert P. Davenport. Yvette Avery Herod says, Afternoon, PDR Posse. Yvette, you were great yesterday. Thank you so kindly. Uh, we also have Woohoo Jenny. Welcome to the PDR Posse from Brie. She says, come on in. And come on, others. We want more into that PDR Posse, guys. Come on in. All right, let's see who else we got. Tom C says, now back in sync. Muchísimas gracias. So you're, you're, off, the, you're off the beat now, Rudnan. You're, you're, it cleaned up itself. Alistair Waters, I don't know if you were on the show yesterday, but I want to thank you for supporting us on PayPal. Thank you so kindly, Alistair Waters. I saw that you're going to get something in the mail. It's just that I'm, so, I mean, not in the mail, email. It's just that I'm so behind right now that, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's just been crazy, girl. Uh, Eric Hayes, just 
keep doing the blaming game, see what happens. We don't need to blame. You know, what, what amuses me with some people is if you tell the truth, you're blaming. If you ignore, you're being weak. You can't win. All right, Bridge MTV says, all techie there, Alistair Waters, LOL. Okay, man, I need to get to the interview, so let's see what else I got. Alistair, Bridge MCP, I think I, I think I saluted everyone already. Ah, oh, no, I haven't saluted. Peggy Lopez, como estas? How are you doing, my dear friend? And who else have I, I not saluted? I think I've got Daniel Lado. When, when we warned China not to get involved in Ukraine, just what is the threat? What can we do to China? <laughs> you know, that is true. I hate to say that Daniel is right. We can't make threats to China. You know, we can't even make, we can barely make threats to, to Russia other than what we're doing to Russia. But we don't have a real relationship with Russia as far as bringing products in, as far as buying products. But Europe does. But we have a huge relationship with China. So all of this interrelation within worlds, within countries, makes one country impotent. And that's what somebody like Trump never understood. It makes you impotent when you're so dependent on the world. Now, America has the ability to be fairly self-sufficient given the natural resources that it has. But because of capitalism, we don't. You hear that, Lee Grant? America could be a self-sustaining country, including with most minerals on the planet. But we chose the efficiency, quote unquote, of you know what, not to get there. Anyhow, I want to I want to bring on Clivon Harris. She's going to talk about uh, urban schools. You know, we like to bring a little change of subjects, and then we're going to come back with uh, the fraud that is Tucker Carlson. We're going to come with, with, with what they're doing. We're going to come back with a few other things. So let me go ahead and get the interview going, and then we'll. Take it on the other side, my friends. Welcome to one more edition of Politics. I'm Rana McBerto, who is your host. Today, we have the honor of speaking to Clevon Harris. She left a career of writing for television behind and returned to Philadelphia, where she planned to pursue a career in teaching, easing in as a substitute. She was confronted by disruption and violence that undermined both the learning environment and her aspirations. Still hoping to contribute, she wrote an insightful first-hand account of the conditions and real-life challenges teachers and students face on a daily basis in her book called Sub, Inside the Notorious School of District of Philadelphia. Hello and welcome to Politics Done Right. Ms. Harris, how are you doing today? I'm fine, Alberto. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I tell you what, um, I, am, I am excited to hear a little bit about what's in your book and what you found as a sub because i think first of all let me let me just tell you something about what i think about teachers and i've been preaching this for a very long time i think i think teachers are uh, represent the most important profession bar none because you all are the ones who move knowledge forward whether you're an engineer, I'm an engineer, whether you're a lawyer, I have relatives that are lawyer, doctors, relatives that are doctors, etc. You are the ones who move knowledge forward. So I always find it problematic that we don't give the respect or the resources necessary for folks like you to get the job done. 
first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. About me? Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, as you said, I, you know, primarily I think of myself as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've done for the majority of my life. Uh, when I was in college, uh, you know, there were two roads. I was thinking about teaching. I was thinking about writing. And I, I wound up going down the writing road. Spent a lot of time in um, ad agencies, um, in communication departments, uh, had a chance to write for TV, uh, et cetera. But eventually got to a point where uh, it wasn't going the way I wanted to go and I didn't feel fulfilled. And I felt like I was wasting the education that I had an opportunity to um, to have. So I wanted to do something to contribute to, to you know, to help out the community. And I decided that I was going to become a teacher. At the time I was living in Los Angeles there, you can get emergency credentials. So um, I applied and I was just on the verge of getting a classroom when it occurred to me that, you know, I could actually go home and be near my family and I could teach in Philadelphia. So I decided to come home and then I discovered that Philadelphia doesn't do emergency credentials. (laughs) So I needed to go back and get fully certified in order to teach which takes about two years. And I was willing to do that. But at the time they said, but we need substitute teachers right now. So um, we would love for you to sign up and and get out there in the pool because we're really, really desperate. And so I thought that would give me an opportunity to see what was going on out in the schools. And and I signed up. Now, I I, I want to go a little bit before that, because I said, Am I not hearing you on the cell yourself? Weren't you a writer for uh, TV shows, et cetera? I was. I was. I had an opportunity to uh, I went to the University of Southern California uh, School of Cinematic Arts for my master's degree. I went to Swarthmore College undergrad. And um, when I graduated from graduate school, I had an opportunity to work on a show called Living Single, um, a show called 704 Hauser, which was one of Norman Lear's shows. Um, and I also worked on a show called For Your Love, and then did some freelances for Soul from the Series, Farscape. I also freelance for Star Trek, uh, Voyager. So that's what I was doing. The reason I wanted to bring that up is um, you, you may you may kind of not play that up as big as it should, but usually when we have a lot of people that get themselves into that industry, the last thing they're going to think about is coming back home and teach there is a special type of person that actually does that. So I, I think we need to get put that part of the context into um, who you are, in my humble opinion. But now, as far as um, as far as what you found when you went to Philadelphia, um, uh, one of the things I think uh, folks say is that I, I think somewhere you asserted that the children pretty much are set up to fail in these schools. Exactly what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that they're not actually getting the first rate quality education that they need in order to succeed in life. And if you're not getting the education that you need to succeed, then that kind of sets you up for for failure, you know, or for maintaining the status quo. So, 
you know, it's 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 really hard that, you know, the whole situation is is very, very complicated. And I don't think that people are necessarily intentionally trying to destroy the lives of children or destroy their futures. But I think that there's there is a certain level of, of negligence and um, of not understanding the, the consequences of decisions that are made at the federal level, at state level. Um, everyone knows that resourcing funding is an issue. Everyone knows this. They don't may not necessarily understand all the ins and outs of it. But when I first started teaching in Philadelphia, it was just ridiculous. They, you know, we didn't have decent textbooks. There was there were no laptops, smart boards. Uh, it was just it was just crazy. It was it was very different from going to a private school or a Catholic school. And the conditions in the schools were were not that great. So, um, you know, that was the first time I went out because I actually subbed at two different times. I subbed from 2001 to 2002. And then I quit because I was like, this is just too hard and I can't do it. Um, and then I want but I wound up writing a journal while I was subbing because I was so frustrated and upset by what I was seeing. Now, is that the genesis schools. of your book, uh, of your book, Sub Inside Notorious School District of Philadelphia? It is. It is. Okay. That's that's where the book came from. I was actually thinking about writing an article. A friend of mine said, hey, I think this is a book, you know, and, and you should really keep at it. And so I started working on the book, but didn't finish it. Got caught up in, in working out in corporate America, in uh, advertising agencies, et cetera. And then but it always stayed with me. I always followed what was going on with the schools and, and how they were doing. And there was a, a lot to follow in Philadelphia and across the U.S. And following Philadelphia, I began to understand that there were things that were happening, things that were that were actually playing out across the country in a lot of different large urban school districts. So I just kind of kept track of that. And then eventually I got to a point where I thought I need to finish that book. I need to go back and finish it. But it's been a while. So I need to go back out and sub again and see if anything has changed. And when I went back out to sub, I found that some things had changed. Some things had gotten better. Some things had gotten worse. Some of the things that had gotten better were there seemed to be more resources, still not enough money to, to really, you know, make sure that the, the schools were, you know, that their environments were very clean and um, environmentally safe. In Philadelphia, we had a, a, a huge problem with and have a huge problem with asbestos and lead pipes, um, mold, mildew. Some schools had uh, bug infestations uh, or mice. And, you know, funding is one of the things that, that affects all that. You know, I found that there, the teachers, the second time I went out, seemed to be less burnt out, less frustrated, less, you know, trying to figure a way how to get out of teaching um, and uh, more dedicated and determined to make it work. But at the same time, there was so much more disruption in the classroom. When I went back out the second time, it was just, it was kind of unbelievable. I came from a Catholic and private school background and that wasn't tolerated in the classroom. You know, school was a safe, calm place, a, you know, a safe space for you to learn and, and grow. And I don't think that a lot of the kids who are in large urban underfunded school districts are, are having that same opportunity. Now, when you talk about, because I noticed him, that's that's mentioned quite a bit. How um, uh, the the classroom is not really kept accountable for discipline and that that sort of a thing. 
what do you attribute that to other than let's say issues at home and no control in school what what would you suggest that uh, needs to be done in an urban environment to mitigate that problem you know that was one of the things that that really struck me when i first started subbing <clears throat> and i had the opportunity to sub at um all together uh, about 67 different schools i had over 90 67 67 different schools wow and i found that that disruption was was prevalent in the vast majority of those schools and i didn't understand when I first started subbing, I really didn't understand why I talked to a lot of teachers, administrators, counselors. I did research. And what I came to um, understand and to believe is that um, there's something called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Mm -hmm. And this is a federal law which dictates that to the maximum extent appropriate, all children with disabilities whether those disabilities are disruptive or not, managed or not, are to be educated in the general education setting. And for a lot of kids who have disabilities or disorders, that's fine. And they do well and they thrive in that setting and they can grow and learn. But for some kids, and specifically I'm talking about the children that have emotional and behavioral disorders that are unmanaged and that have learning disabilities that are, that are unmanaged and unaddressed, there have been study after study after study that says that these children do better in a smaller environment with teachers who have specialized training, aides that have specialized skills so that they can support them as they grow and as they learn. But unfortunately, because there's a federal law saying that this, you know, that this is the way it's supposed to be, a lot of those children are funneled into the general education classrooms where it's hard for them to thrive and be successful. And so they wind up being not being able to keep up emotionally, uh, socially, academically. And that's hard. That's a lot of stress and pressure on a child. So they, you know, some of them have a tendency to to act out, disrupt the class, fight and argue with their classmates, fight and argue with the teachers. Sometimes they resort to violence. They walk in and out of the classrooms, um, scream and holler and cry. And this goes on. Sometimes all day long, it, it happens day after day, week after week, until eventually the kids graduate and to the next grade and they move to the next grade together. But as they move from grade to grade, that learning loss multiplies. Well, by the time by the time they get to, to middle school, they're behind. And by the time they get to high school, for a lot of them, it's too late to catch up. All right. I, I want to go back to something that you said. I mean, because what you're telling me is that, in fact, there can be there, there, some of these laws are bad. Uh, now, so first of all, it is it is correct that uh, these disruptive students don't only disrupt themselves, they probably disrupt their peers as well. And yes. Peers as well. Is that correct? Yes. You know, and that's that's one of the things is like they're holding themselves back. And they're also holding back their classmates and they're making it very difficult for the teachers to teach. Now, that being the case, having a bad law that you're talking about, why hasn't anything been done about it after we have the experience that shows uh, that it's problematic, not only for the, the people that's disrupting, but the disruptors? You know, that's a that's a great question. You know, I, I don't know that I would say that it's a bad law. You know, I would say that there are some components of it that need to be revised. Um, 
So primarily what the law is for is to make sure that children with disabilities are able to be included in the classroom settings, that they're not um, excluded, they're not pushed to the side, that they're getting the things that they need in order to be successful. I think the problem with the law is that um, it doesn't take into account the disruption that happens when the children are not functioning well in the general ed setting. It's not taking into account the fact that a lot of schools just don't have the funds or the personnel to support those kids while they're in the general classroom setting. And it doesn't allow the schools to determine which of the students are actually doing well in the large, you know, in the general ed setting and which of the students would do better in smaller specialized classes. And henceforth, my next question, are these kids the exception, based on the way you are talking, the exception has almost now become the rule. And if that is the case, uh, what needs to be done or what can be done? You know, I wouldn't say that they've become the rule. I would say that in the majority of the classrooms I was in, the ones that I was in short term, the ones that I was in long term, it was easier to observe long term that perhaps there might be two or three kids in that classroom who were very challenging to work with. Um, and then of those two or three, the longer you work with them, you might be able to you know, establish a relationship, work with their parents, work with the counselors in the schools and kind of get them to um, you know, just start to, to be able to function well in the classroom. But there might be one child that really is struggling under the burden of whatever their disorder is that one child can stop the learning process for everyone else in that classroom. If I have to stop teaching a lesson because I have to go pull that kid off of another kid because they're fighting this other kid for no reason or because they're just constantly disrupting or they're walking back and forth in and out of the classroom, you know, that's a lot. That that stops the process of learning. So you have to ask yourself, how much are we are those kids losing in terms of education in a single day? Is it 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent of their education? And then how does that multiply and how does that impact them in the long run? You know, it's amazing because, I mean, there are so many problems that we have in this society that if if, if kids just had good health care, meaning health, health care, meaning mental health care, body health care, everything, so much of this wouldn't be an, be an issue. So um, what would you say uh, you want people who read your book, Sub, inside the Notorious School District of Philadelphia, which I imagine, uh, based on what you've seen, it probably reflects urban schools throughout the country. What would you, um, what would you want folks to get out of that book? And also, uh, what would you want them to um, do based on what they get out of that book? You know, it's when I when I first started writing it, you know, what I wanted to to share with people is I wanted to share my experience, because as someone on the outside of this, a lot of times, you know, people will look at an underperforming school or, or some schools that they'll term as failing schools. And they'll be like, well, what's wrong with that school? It's it's the kids, it's the students. They just can't do any better. Or it's the teachers. They're not good teachers, you know, or the administrators don't care. And a lot of times it's it's none of the above. 
You know, it's none of the above. At the same time, there is a big problem and people need to understand what it is. So it's not just, you know, it's that and it's also the funding situation. And I just I wanted parents to know that their kids might be dealing with something very difficult on a daily basis at school. And you need to ask your kids what's going on. And you need to ask them every day because they might have a couple of good days and then they may have quite a few bad days because of one child or two children in their in their classroom. So parents need to know and they need to advocate for their kids. And then politicians need to understand the ramifications of the things that they decide. I think in 2004, maybe they decided to revise IDEA. And what they added is instead of just making it that uh, children with disabilities could be removed from a classroom if they brought in guns, bombs, or drugs, they added, or if they do serious bodily harm to another child or a teacher. Why are we letting things get to that point where they're doing serious bodily harm? The last assignment I had, the first time I was out, I was there because there was a teacher who had struggled with one child all year long. She kept asking for help. She didn't get the help she needed. And two months before the end of the school year, he pushed her backwards over a chair and she hurt herself really badly. I mean, and that's, that's not a rare instance. There are a lot of teachers who have been hit, kicked. I've been hit. I've been kicked. Um, I've been pushed. You know, a lot of, a lot of teachers go through that and it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not fair. It's not helpful. And it's, and it's not helping to move anything forward. You know, based on what you're saying and and what you're asking parents to do, it seems like if people simply go ahead and became a bit more engaged in, in the school system, I mean, People are working hard, um, Clavon, and, uh, you know, the way our society is set up right now, it's just so difficult for people to wear all the hats they have to wear. So we depend on on folks, you know, folks that are writing about this, putting this information out there for other people to make decisions. The last question I always ask of everybody who shows up here is what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? I think that one of the other things that I want to put out there for folks, because a lot of people are like, okay, well, that's not my kid's issue. You know, why should I be concerned about this? Um, Funding is an issue. Achievement is an issue. And if, if we could raise the achievement level for black and brown students up to the same level as native born white students, the gross domestic product of the United States would increase by $500 billion a year. They've actually done the calculations for that. If we raise the achievement level of all students in the United States, black, brown, white, whatever, to the basic level of achievement on the National Assessment for Education Progress, we raised everyone to that level, there would be an increase of $30 trillion in our gross domestic product. That's a lot of money that could circulate in in the United States, in our economy, uh, and a a lot of money that would help us remain globally competitive and way more money than we would need to fix and fund all the schools. Clavon Harris, writer, teacher, author of the book, Sub Inside the Notorious School District of Philadelphia. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Alberto, thank you for having me. I really, truly appreciate it. Thank you very much. 
All right, folks, I hope you like that. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of in time. I tell you what, let's do, do the book stuff. Then I'll come back and talk to you guys about what we need to talk about right away. Check this out. I'm Egberto Willis, as host of Politics Done Right, a progressive radio media show on Pacifica Network's KPFT 90.1 FM Houston that engages all ideologies. I found that our political angst isn't mostly ideological. There is a well-designed effort by many in power to control us. If we are at each other's throats, we are less likely to demand our economic and local wishes. In that light, I wrote three books. I wrote the first one titled, As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom to Describe the Entire Economy in a Manner We Can All Understand. It highlights why it was designed to pill for most as it empowers a few, the chosen. The second book, titled, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, Take It to the Next Level. After understanding how the system pilfers, it is incumbent that we can speak to our peers to empower a change. The third book, How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from those who rigged it gives us a place to land after learning about our economy that is dysfunctional for most and learning how to engage the other side we point out what would make an economy that works for all each book stands on its own but together they provide the full picture please consider getting one or more you will undoubtedly learn be entertained and help us continue the mission with our blogs articles videos and books all right, Jenny. Jenny Teresi is our latest uh, PDR Posse member on, on uh, YouTube. I already, I just went ahead and put it there. I have a lot more to talk about that I do want to talk about. So let me just give you one link, one link. And that is politicsdoneright.com slash, like, slash support. That gives you all the different methods to provide support to the program. Let me get there politicsdoneright.com slash support. It gives you the link for the books. It gives you the links for the cups. It gives you the link for everything. And I don't, I have too much to, too much other stuff that we need to go over. Okay. You know, if anybody from, from President Obama's team or any of the media that to some seem like they weren't an attacker of the president would have been slaughtered they would have been slaughtered if they had attempted what Tucker Carlson as well as uh, Fox News and others have done. Check this out and then we'll get it on the other side. The brazen indefensibility of Vladimir Putin's war of aggression in Ukraine means that Russia's propaganda machine has its work cut out for it. First, Putin tried to justify his war by claiming he was liberating Ukraine from Nazi rule. That fell flat. So now Russia's trying a new strategy, new false claims that U.S.-funded laboratories in Ukraine are building biological weapons to use against Russia. A kind of retread of the WMD argument from 20 years ago. Now, to be absolutely clear, it's a lie. There's zero actual evidence those labs, labs are building weapons. It doesn't matter the conspiracy. Nevertheless, gaining steam on fringe far-right websites here in the U.S. In fact, as NBC reports, one cybersecurity expert has found, quote, the rhetoric on pro-Trump sites, which had largely been anti-Putin in the first days of the war, has shifted because of the biolab conspiracy theory, a theory that has been actively entertained on Fox News by Tucker Carlson. What exactly are they doing in these secret Ukrainian bio labs? Ukraine is the poorest country in Europe. It's hardly a hotbed of biomedical research. We're assuming these weren't pharmaceutical labs, probably not developing new leukemia drugs. From your answer, Tori Newland, we would assume, because you all but said it, that there's a military application to this research, that they were working on bioweapons. 
again, it's not a particularly clever method. They're like constant rhetorical questions. So you're never actually making a claim. It's very obvious. But that's the whole point, right? Tucker Carlson and Fox News CEO Suzanne Scott both know that Ukrainian labs are not making biological weapons. But it must be working for whatever agenda they have. As media critic Aaron Rupar notes, Tucker's rarely come out as nakedly pro-Putin. Instead, he's sort of anti-anti-Putin, all framed as opposition to the forces in the U.S., mainly Democratic Party, which oppose Putin's war. And by extension, Tucker works to legitimize a lot of the Kremlin's favored talking points. And that's not really an exaggeration, just to be clear. I mean, you know, uh, people can say whatever they want, free country. But this is what's happening. It's what he's doing. The Kremlin itself sees Tucker as a useful asset. According to a leaked document translated by Mother Jones, a memo for Russian intelligence services to Russian media explaining why they need to play more of Carlson's show, quote, is essentially as much as possible fragments of broadcasts of the popular Fox News host Tucker Carlson, who sharply criticizes the action of the United States and NATO, their negative role in unleashing the conflict in Ukraine and the defiantly provocative behavior from the leadership of the Western countries and NATO towards the Russian Federation and towards President Putin personally. Now, again, maybe you don't know the provenance of that uh, memo and you're skeptical of that. But let me tell you, it's it's on Russian state owned television all the time, as people who watch it have been noting. But even as those state owned news outlets in Russia are being told exactly what pro-war propaganda to use on air, there are incredibly brave protesters trying to get the truth out, even on state TV. Amazing. Just think about it. Suppose... Anybody's related or supported by President Obama had ever done that, become the sycophant of Putin, become the, the resident, what, what would they like to call the resident of, of Putin, you know? That's promoting the lies that Putin is putting out there. Suppose that were the case. We would have a riot in this country. I don't understand how Trump gets away with it, and I don't understand how Trump has people that stick with him as he generates this this type of stuff. I don't understand how Tucker becomes the highest-rated cable news, uh, cable opinion news uh, personality. I don't get it. But remember, these guys should be considered by you traitors. Don't forget it. All right. We have a second one. Jen Psaki uh, was asked a question about the, the bill, the COVID, the, the extra COVID relief bill to extend it and do more things, right? And as it turns out, it's being blocked, right? It's being blocked by most of the Republicans, right? So uh, here's a question and watch how she answers it. I think the way she answers it is important, but I think it needed a bit more depth. Check this out back to COVID funding. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is something um, that White House officials stressed today. This is something that President yeah. addressed in his State of the Union address. Um, but if this is so important for the President and the White House, will he meet with Republicans individually? Uh, will he make his case to them personally? I would note that there's a number of Republicans who won't even return our phone calls about the impact of the lack of COVID funding and how they will impact their constituents. So that's probably the best place to start. Go ahead. Yeah, how are you going to get it through Congress? Uh, you have Republicans in the Senate who are making it very clear, leadership saying that there is no Republican support for moving any more money for COVID relief because they believe and they believe the White House hasn't made a strong enough case that funds can't just be moved around to uh, 
fund these priorities. Sure. Well, we've been making that case publicly and privately back to earlier this year. So that those are the facts. Um, we've also been, as I just noted, attempting to engage with and have these conversations with, of course, Democrats, but also Republicans. COVID doesn't discriminate just by party um, at all. Um, I think what we're trying to do is uh, really be very clear and direct about what the impacts will be. I mean, some of these programs, funding for uh, for um, treatments for immunocompromised, providing free tests and masks, providing free uh, boosters and vaccines, uh, those will impact millions of Americans potentially in this country, regardless of their partisan affiliation. So what we're doing, we're going to, of course, leave the process in the vehicle up to Congress. Uh, we, we are encouraging them and aggressively calling for them to move these resources sources immediately. And we've, what we've tried to do is break down what the impacts are going to be on different states and also when specific programs will end so that it doesn't feel like just a number, but feels like a direct impact on programs and people's lives. In terms of whether money can be moved around, I know you've said before that it can't be moved around. Uh, what we're hearing from the Hill is that they believe there's about $100 million that could be shifted. Um, and, and certainly there was an agreement with the four leaders to shift funds that fell apart in part because governors balked. But um, is there money that could be moved? Do these dire consequences have to start next week? Or could funds be shifted and then later allocated? Well, the opposition, as you note, prevented that from ha being a portion of what moved forward, right? I don't know that that opposition has changed um, at this point in time. Um, but also, it's important to note that um, we believe that this should be provided on an emergency basis, um, not something where there it will require offsets. It shouldn't have to require taking money from states who are using it for um, different programs, whether it's funding cops or police officers or other programs. That was a part of the discussion and the negotiation, but not aware of any change in the uh, support for that. The inhumanity of anyone who opposes this bill to, en to, to enhance COVID support. And le let's get it further. Do you think if this, if it were on the other shoe, that it was Democrats holding up something that saves people's lives, that they wouldn't have gone much harder at it? I love Jen Psaki, but this one, I don't think she's handling right. I think Jen Psaki immediately should come out and say, Republicans had no problem voting for military equipment for Ukraine. They had no problem spending a dollar with the defense industrial complex. But when it comes to saving their fellow human beings in their states, they couldn't. They wanted offsets. Nobody asked for offsets for Ukraine. Nobody asked for assets whenever we're going to war. Nobody asked for assets when we're buying bombs, when we're buying these types of things. Why ask for offsets when we're trying to buy things to save people's lives? That is the, that is the direction of the argument that needs to be taken. We need to come out and say, the party of death is at it again. They will buy weapons of destruction, of killing, without batting an eye. But ask for weapons to heal. Ask for weapons to improve someone's humanity. Ask for weapons to make one's lives better. And their answer is crickets. No. We have to remember that. One last video. Uh, tomorrow, I think, I think it's going to be tomorrow, I'll have 
Tom Hartman on. But there's a little segment that I did at the end with Tom Hartman because, you know, when I went Tom Hartman and I get together to talk, we kind of enjoy just kind of shooting bull. And as it turns out, his thoughts on Putin uh, mimics exactly what I've been saying for some time. I want you guys to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side. Tom, I want to hear your thoughts on Ukraine, Russia, etc. I think uh, Putin is the dog that caught the car. Oh, my God. Explain. Well, you know, he he thought he was going to take down Ukraine and, um, you know, went yapping after it and and didn't realize that it was as big and powerful as, you know, the, the dog meat car kind of thing. And now he's he's in deep trouble. Um, I think this is probably going to be the end of his presidency, um, whether he destroys Ukraine and conquers it and kills Zelensky or imprisons him or not. Um, I think his his goose is cooked. I really do. Uh, don't you? I, I mean, we think alike. I said that on my show a few days ago. I said, I think this is the end of Putin. Yeah. I think it's over. I, yeah. I think this was such a... But you know what else? You know what I think is worse, Tom? And you tell me if you, you agree. I think that what he showed is that he had a military that isn't nearly as mighty as the rest of the world believe it was or it is. And in that process has not only destroyed its presidency, but the reputation of the country as being one of the leading countries in the world. So it looks like they're going to be the, as if, in effect, the gas station with nuclear bombs. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the thing where uh, Zelensky's um, uh, minister for anti-corruption sent a thank you letter to Sergei Soshu, I think is his name. No, I didn't. What did he say? He's the German, he, or he's the uh, Russian, um, uh, he's the, their equivalent of the chief, joint, you know, the, 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 the secretary of defense. Right. And, uh, and he attached pictures. And he said, you know, he thanked him for using egg cartons as on the outside of tanks as armor. They literally no. had things where the armor was egg cartons. It was for the, for photographs and they had brought them in. Um, he thanked him for soldiers having uh, cardboard as as uh, body armor. Body armor. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, and, and he just lays it out. I mean, he lays out the details about how the defense minister had been skimming money off the top for himself in, in, out of the Russian army. And now the army is like incompetent. And it was, uh, you know, this is, you know, having a comedian as president, I mean, it, was, it was worthy. It was a, he was, he's great. He's it's great. worth finding. I mean, the, this I am uh, going to look for it. It's it's, uh, it's spectacular. It's uh, it's amazing. Well, anyhow. Tom Hartman, thank you for kindly for appearing once again on Politics Done Right. And thank you so much for having me, Egberto. Yeah, well, we have a full interview, 20-something minutes that I'm going to play of the interview tomorrow with uh, his new book. Uh, what is it? The, the Hidden History of Big Brother in America. Real good book. But anyhow, folks, uh, let me get to, you, to your information here. Maywood says, it was Biden who reinstated them. So that's obviously false. Getting out of Afghanistan, a place. Oh, I, that's a conversation that's already going on. Let me kind of go off a little bit. I'm going to have to go through real fast because there's a lot of stuff here and I don't have a lot of time. At my community college, uh, 80% of high school graduate failed entrance exam. That's a kind of bad type of education we're getting. 
Uh, somebody earlier said, you know, you think teachers are overpaid? No, teachers are underpaid. I don't think people understand how hard teaching is. I think teaching is the most important profession. The only way I'll accept you saying if teachers are underpaid, if you tell me Wall Street um, market makers should be in jail. They don't deserve not even a tenth of the monies that they get because they do absolutely nothing for society. When you are able to tell me something of that nature, then we can talk. Then we can talk. All right. Carl Cox says funding for schools, especially low-income community schools, is being cut drastically. Exactly. You know, it's funny because wealthy neighborhoods, all they want is their, their property taxes cut because I ain't got no kids in school, so why am I paying? They forgot what it's all about. All right, let's see what else we got. Uh, uh, Peggy Lopez says, we live in a world. Uh, we live in a world where it, we seem to legislate with the idea that one size fits all within the educational system, medical system, legal system, outgrowth of capitalism in all areas. Yeah, they want to turn everything into a product, Peggy. Turn everything into a product and all is fine. Uh, Alice says, as it stands, I won't teach in Texas. You know, my daughter teach taught for... A year in Splendora, she enjoyed the students like crazy, but she knew the system was broken. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Uh, chronic capitalism, capitalists hate an educated public. That's the magic. And I saw a message from somebody that laid it out better than, uh, than, than, than anything here. Great interview. Much needed insight. Thank you, Yvette. Uh, I want to read. The one of you left a, a message that said, we don't have a real education system. We have an indoctrination system that just creates a whole lot of people who believe that the capitalists that run the society is really good for them when we know better. Bridge MCP, 16 watching in likes, thumbs up. Come on, folks, give me those thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. Let's get into double-digit thumbs up. And also, please remember to share, 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 share. Uh, Paul Fleming says, uh, what did Paul, I saw Paul says, uh, I saw a message from Paul Fleming earlier. Okay, Carl Cox says, Putin must be removed from office or the entire things. Eric Hayes says, teachers are due pay and more respect. Oh, Eric, I am, I am very touched. I'm impressed with you, sir. Carl Cox says, conservatives of code. Robert Davenport says, remember the Republican senators that took to a trip to Moscow to be courted by the Kremlin. All right, let's see what I say. Bruce says, let's all be safe. That's Bruce Pollard. Uh, let's see who else we have here making a statement. You know, I like to get, if, uh, Paul Fleming says, if Trump figured out a way to move money around to build the wall, we need to do the same. I agree. Michael Rennie says, no, I can't put down, uh, yeah, Egberto, do you remember 2016 when conservatives were wearing, I'd rather be a Russian than a Democrat t-shirt? It's amazing, isn't it? We should all put that, remind them of those days, right? All right. Tucker, a collaborator with any white supremacists. What else we got here? Uh, authoritarian dictators, whether he can find a behind to kiss. He lives the saying, if you do not stand for something, you will fall for anything. Absolutely so. Bridge MCP says, thanks for the reminder. Oh, that is a, a conversation elsewhere. All right, folks, if, if there's something that I missed that you sent me that you want me to say or say on air, you got a minute to throw it into the bottom of the chat, meaning just put it in chat. And I'll repeat it real quickly. So put any, if anything, we, we have one minute left. Anything you want me to say real quick, put it at the end of the chat, like right now. And I'll go ahead and I will repeat it. Because as I've always said, this show is yours. What happens if Russ gets, Russia gets China help? If Russia gets China's help, they get China's help. But look, um, you have to understand, there's, there's a game of chicken being played. China cannot live without America. America cannot live without China. 
Robert Davenport says, go, Ashley. Yes, yes, thank you, Robert Davenport. Bruce Pollard says, if there, if there are more than one way to remove a dictator from office, yes, there is. We don't want to talk about the other one. Michael Rodney said, bye-bye, see you tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed the videos that I had prepared for you. This is one time that I said I'm going to get all four videos out because the videos are piling up on me right now. And you know I keep generating them, generating them, generating them. You know why? Because we must. Because we must. Anyway, folks, we are at the 4.59 mark. It's time to get out of here. I'm going to wait for 30 seconds more to see if I hear anything or see anything from anyone. Please remember to go visit us at politicsunright.com slash support, politicsunright.com slash support to find out the different ways that you can support the program. Please also don't forget to go get my books, please. That, that not only enlightens us all, but it also, you know what? It also helps us around to pay the bills, politicsunright.com slash books. And again, the numero uno form, politicsunright.com slash PayPal, politicsunright.com slash PayPal. That's the way you support us, folks. Mashed potatoes, according to Carl Cox. He wants me to say, I don't know why. Alistair Water says, bye, y'all. Anyway, folks, my name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.